over here at Trixie with Alistos Reis for her exhibition Under a Two Moon Belief System No Duality Endures. I'm Leandros Dolos, the host of this interview. I'm uh, here, an artist based in The Hague. And actually, I, I come from the art science background. So, Alice, welcome. Thank you, Leandros. Perhaps just to begin with and get this running, you can tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, um, so I'm an artist. I studied uh, fine art at the Sandberg Institute in Amsterdam and I graduated in 2018. I've since been living between there and Lisbon, where I'm from originally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my work is mostly in film. Um, I also work in photography uh, and sculpture and writing a lot of the time. So for this exhibition, you're exhibiting two works, two films. One is called Undercurrent and it was made in 2019. And the other one is uh, called Stun Rehearsal, made in 2020. Both, I guess, lie in the genre of speculative fiction, but they're still quite different one from another. Perhaps you can very briefly describe each of them. Yeah, they are uh, indeed very different. So basically, Undercurrent, uh, its original name is Subcurrent, so it's the Portuguese title. Mm -hmm. It was originally made for um, a prize I won in, in Portugal, and it was firstly shown in the Sechalvos Museum in Porto. It's a speculative fiction film, I would even maybe call it a science fiction film. It follows a marine biologist. Uh, in the near future, who is basically undergoing a project of ocean sensing. Ocean sensing is an umbrella term for a number of methods used in um, sensing the oceans without the scientist or biologist actually being there. And so this marine biologist is actually ocean sensing with um, a species of krill that have been bioengineered uh, so that they can hold small micro cameras in their bodies. So what she, what this marine biology does is she is following this krill herd throughout the bottom of the ocean to be able to map out some of the unknown uh, areas of, yet unknown areas of the North Atlantic Ocean. And krill is like a shrimp like It's a very, very creature. tiny shrimp, like right. maybe two, three millimeters okay. um, uh, long. Um, so they are very, very tiny. But when they when they swim, they swim in a in a herd. So they mm -hmm. swim in, in with you know in a, in a huge ball of other krill. Mm -hmm. So they become a kind of a, a multi species in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, and they are also just for context at the right bottom of the marine food chains. So there's plankton, there's phytoplankton, plankton, and then krill is the first multicellular animal after plankton. Mm -hmm. And they're the animal responsible for taking all the nutrients and proteins from plankton into the rest of the marine food chains, which means that they're extremely important to ocean health um, and ecology. And I chose krill specifically because around 2018, I read that uh, 70 to 80% of krill um, populations in the world's oceans were uh, going extinct. Mm -hmm. And things since it's part of the food chain and since it's so small you may as much uh, start exploring the, the stomach of a whale for example or a fish and then one going from another and then perhaps even ending up within humans in the end exactly but, no for sure yeah. and in fact krill is also used to make krill oil you know yeah. um, 
that humans consume directly, it's actually one of the most, one of the primary ways we consume krill, I'd say. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, as you're saying, like humans also consume fish, also consume, you know, mm -hmm. algae, um, seaweed. Mm -hmm. So we, yeah, krill is in us, you know. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, speaking of interconnectedness, of course, the food I mean, chain is one of the everything, most yeah. uh, solid examples. Exactly. As a film, it's, you don't give too many things to the viewer in terms of story. How does this story, let's say, communicate? Okay, to be very honest, <laughs> uh, it was an, exper an experience and it made me realize how narrative and narration is something that is hard for me to um, step aside from. Uh, but Undercurrent gave me this, uh, this opportunity to try, you know, right. just playing with the materiality yeah. of, of filmmaking. Like, even to me, uh, when I watch that film, there's something agonizing about it. You know, it's mm -hmm. slow, observational, very observational. The music and the sound is very present. So the, for me, what that film gains is, is in terms of installation as well, having the sound, having the image, and allowing the viewer more or less to live the pacing of that film in real time, I'd say. Mm -hmm. It's, for me, that's both its most interesting thing and also its most, uh, um, its, its biggest weakness, I'd say. And I really love the, the last scene where she swims on the kind of let's go and just swims at the swimming pool and kind of becomes also an aquatic being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, that scene was very important for me to, mm -hmm. to have because also it's the first time you see her outside of um, the lab. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe a context of, um, yeah, like a more social context. You don't see anybody else, but you mm. kind of, you feel like it's a public pool. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, perhaps you can say a few words about the stand rehearsal, the mm -hmm. second film, and then we can try connecting them. It's around the building of um, a, a, a rocket and satellite launcher in one of the um, islands of the Azorian archipelago, which is an archipelago... Um, that is situated right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, the building of this uh, rocket launcher implicates a number of uh, socio-ecological, economic uh, constraints and uh, problematics, and that's mostly what this film, which is going to be a fiction film, around, uh, but around this like um, this factual event, will surround. Um, so I was meant to shoot this film already last year. And presented as well in 2020 uh, at one at the festival at this festival, arts festival that happens every year in um, in the Azores, which is they're also commissioning the film. But this festival in question, they're called Walk and Talk. They commissioned the artists uh, involved uh, an online piece to be shown in their website um, in 2020. And I, after much thought, I <laughs> I thought I could maybe shoot uh, a separate like almost like a warm-up film uh, to the actual film that uh, that it, that is going to premiere this year i when i was in the island doing this residency in 2019 it was pretty late at night and the, it was a full moon and it was shining over the waters and just by the seashore i started hearing k-pop uh, but when I approach these people, they're actual teenagers, which didn't surprise me. And they were basically spending the evening mimicking K-pop um, choreographies, yes. Um, and they were very 
coordinated, I thought, at the time for someone who was like by the water dancing casually. And I spoke a bit with them and they expressed how much uh, they, they were into Korean pop and how much they wanted to visit the country because of, the, because of its pop culture. And I found that, I felt that really interesting in terms of how it challenged expectations of, in terms of youth and what their references were actually built, uh, not necessarily tied to the, the cultural space of the island or Portuguese context uh, necessarily. So they were looking at other references and I found that very, somehow very representative of, of, of youth in a mm -hmm. way as well and very contemporary. Um, so I asked them if they wanted to participate in the film. At the time, I didn't really know what the film would be. And they said, yes, they were very excited about it. Um, but because I couldn't shoot, I just decided to do this small film with them. Uh, so this film, again, become, it's, it became a sort of already um, uh, speculative situation in which these kids are by the water, chilling, dancing, doing their thing. And they witnessed the first um, rocket launch from the, near, the nearing island. And they used that uh, moment to actually film themselves dancing yeah. to post it on TikTok or somewhere else. So um, it became kind of, it's, it's a much more fun and upbeat film. And um, uh, I think it contrasts really well with Undercurrent, you know, like character in Undercurrent, she writes to the the character that she writes to in these emails like oh how's your investigation going in the mm -hmm. Azores and to me not only these films are connected chronologically or like they exist in the same timeline or they're almost spin-offs right. of the of the many fictions that are going on in my head but also they kind of connect um to me um the bottom of the ocean with outer space, which is usually called uh, the vertical axis and the, the existence of two maybe un, fairly un, un, unknown realms uh, that, mm -hmm. uh, that exist in terms of like, um, are either to be looked at and explored or to be exploited mm -hmm. <laughs> or to be colonized or just to be um, scientifically, scientifically and biologically um, known to, mm -hmm. to, to us, right? So what we have in essence here, like is we have the worldly domain, the one we live on, our earth, the, the land, the place we can actually walk on, visit, or even the surface of water, it's accessible. Then we have these other domains which are kind of or have been out of reach for humans for so long. So one is outer space and the other one is the deep ocean. Um, and we already discussed a bit that it's kind of interesting that um, even though the ocean is way closer to us in our proximity, uh, humans are not able to even sense maybe beyond some meters or they, they haven't been able to sense beyond some meters of water, I don't know, maybe 10 meters or so. And then this realm that has been so close to us is way out of reach. But on the other hand, the cosmos, like the stars, the galaxy, whatever, they have been in our sensory or perceptual reach because we can see them with our eyes and we can see actually really, really far, really, really far objects and actually really far back, far in time. And then this connection to, to the stars and the cosmos have in shaping humanity since its beginning, through mythologies, through 
interpretation of what they see and try to make some sense out of it. And then you already proposed that in some way myths and mythologies, some sort of early science fiction almost, or trying to make sense of it. And I found this uh, quite an interesting notion. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about how lore, uh, let's say mythology lore, mm -hmm. mythology is always connected with the past, right? Mm -hmm. with, uh, with ancient uh, with ancient um, notions of maybe of um, dialoguing with with the unknown and the world mm -hmm. and, and and the mysteries of, of of the world pretty much this this exercise that I do is not akin to that of um, that we can find for instance in mythological contexts and in in lore and uh, and the makings of of, um, of stories that were in, in the end also, um, and who am I to speak for a person who lived like uh, 2,000 years be before me, but were also ways to um, navigate a number of questions that were and, and situations that were um, at play um, mm -hmm. with the human and the non uh, between the human and perhaps the non-human or the more than human. Perhaps you, you can speak a bit more about the um exploitation or colonization aspect because you have Elon Musk and SpaceX and whatever trying to bring humans actually in outer space and even exploit resources and have this and it's privatized which is a big step in a way and like in, in the same direction also there's quite some exploitation of, of the ocean floor right it's, it's quite a, a not quite an urgent or pressing issue of humanity and if they're going to succeed and if we're going to have human presence on the moon or on Mars, like, are these plants going to succeed, which is already some sort of near future science fiction that seems that it's going to become a reality. Part of why I started, especially for this film um, about the space rocket launcher, space satellite launcher, my first approach to that was one of worry actually, because it's all private investment and it's fully for commercial purposes. It's yeah. not for um, scientific or research purposes. Um, and it will be launching uh, again satellites a few more satellites that maybe uh, the <coughs> night sky <laughs> doesn't need and um, space junk is piling up <laughs> around 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 the earth's um, orbit um, and that and to which uh, companies like star uh, like um, spacex don't really have an answer to you mm -hmm. know like it's just gonna be circling the earth and last year 2020 spacex launched 20,000 um new um, satellites into space and it's not uh, news to anyone that uh, Elon Musk is and of course other and other space um, um, space colonization advocates <laughs> entrepreneurs are very worried about um, finding ways of taking resources from for instance Mars and other asteroids yeah, yeah. but not so much questioning um, how much the enterprise of looking for these resources costs to Earth, uh, mm -hmm. has cost a huge cost and a huge weight on Earth and mm -hmm. uh, the resources that we already have here. If you pair that with current uh, or very contemporary enterprises or, or like projects to, to for deep sea mining, I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that. It's a number of um, extracting technologies that are being developed to extract uh, resources, fossil fuels mainly, 
from the deepest areas of, of the oceans and that uh, potentially, not potentially, it has been already been proven that can be very harmful to marine, um, marine ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, here you have it again, like the kind of this, um, this vertical axis and how as well um, um, venture capitalism sees both these, these spaces as uh, almost as if land that is there to be taken and uh, endless resource that is there to, um, to conquer and to extract and to uh, take a hold of. Actually, I just now realized that there's some other, perhaps more horizontal, divide or distinction between these two films and it, it leads a bit more to, let's say, philosophy of science discussions. So anyway, in one field, subcurrently have a science really from within. So you have from the perspective of the scientist, right? And it's within the lab, within this kind of sterile environment. And then you have uh, science as looked from the outside, as seen from the outside perspective of these young teenagers who just see a rocket launch and are immediately really excited and just want to to somehow record it or record themselves within this uh, and they have this, this excitement. For me, it's again, it raises some sort of questions of how uh, science is communicated to the public and what is actually the understanding that the public has about science. And I've met scientists, I've been in universities, whatever, and it's, it seems that they're quite aware of it and they're trying to make it look cool. They're trying to make it look sexy and Hollywood plays a role within this. But in the end, it leads to some sort of uh, misinterpretation of what actually science is and what it does and how it does it. It's again, yeah, a display with expectations. So of course, like when you see a rocket launch and actually like for this island, they want to invest in like what they call space tourism. So they think yeah. building a, um, having this there will bring tourists to actually, you know, um, come and see satellite launchers, rocket mm-hmm. launchers, etc. Um, but at the same time, you have the, the point of view of a, which is literally a POV, like it's this new trend mm-hmm. on YouTube, I don't know if you looked mm-hmm. at it, like POV, you are a scientist in a lab looking at mm-hmm. Brill, etc. Um, and because it's, again, and it's me uh, imagining what that, what, what that experience would be, because I'm not a scientist and I don't have a background in science, mm-hmm. and although I consulted with marine biologists, I will never know exactly what they do all day. I really want to ask you about the title. I know I did before, but uh, I think that would be interesting. Like, it's one of the first things that attracted me a lot to to what you're going to do here. Uh, perhaps you, you can speak a, a bit about it. So, under a two-moon belief system, no duality endures. Yes. How, how why, <laughs> and how it connects, or... Uh, yeah, so it's a very poetic title uh-huh. uh, because it comes actually out of a poem. Right. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I wrote this poem um, uh, maybe a few months ago, a very small poem. Our planet, not our planet, but uh, especially Western thinking is so based off of um, duality, mm-hmm. so based off of binary systems, pretty much. So there's, uh, there's night and day, there's the sun and the moon, um, there's the I and the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's nature and culture. Good and evil. <laughs> Good and evil, exactly. Uh, of course, anthropologists like 
uh, Latour already suggested that there's no nature and culture, there's nature culture, and they're, in, they're intertwined and inseparable. It takes some deconstruction to think that way, right? And if you had more than one moon, maybe it would challenge maybe, I, I started imagining that it would maybe challenge some sort of binary system. And, um, and of course, this also speaks a lot of, to Ursula Le Guin's Lifetime of Darkness, which is literally about the existence of binaries or the non-existence of binaries in a planet where, um, where, where everyone is actually androgynous and there's no female or male yeah, yeah. sexed people. Taking the lead from this book that you mentioned, I would like to ask you about a bit about your working process and about inspiration, references, other artists like yeah, that's always the that's always the hardest questions that the the hardest type of question for me, uh-huh. um, uh, because it um, it comes from so many sources. I read a lot of science fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think my work and <clears throat> is very adapted to 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 film mm-hmm. history. It was really kind of my actual background. I mean, when I did my BA, it was in fine arts back in Lisbon, but it the school and at the time and the studies were so ran down by crisis mm-hmm. um, you know and uh, I really didn't spend any time in school in, in college really I I went into the cinematheque and I watched films like all day that was mm-hmm. pretty much it so I think yeah it is very adapted to film history I barely say this but I should start saying it more I guess mm-hmm. um, and I, I I wouldn't say I'm like a real science nerd but I I'm very keen on learning right. about science and technology findings and developments. I'm really interested in, as you're saying, the uh, history of science especially, which mm-hmm. really puts in puts science and, and knowledges in perspective. Um, um, and But in terms of like the actual process, to, to, to kind of kickstart a, 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 bo- a body of work, I usually tend to pick up from different sources and there's a narrative that starts starts unfolding in my head and sometimes this narrative can be very directly uh, placed in the works themselves or can just be a point um, a starting point for me to actually develop um, you know a universe of works uh, or a number of objects that kind of connect to this inner narrative that I've created or that I've um, that I've made uh, and I don't know exactly why I do this. I some people really, some artists really like going, going to the studio and start really um, exploring materially, and that that creates a narrative for them. Or like for me, it is almost really um, um, textual, almost literary. Mm-hmm. Specu- speculation and fiction is is ingrained in me. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know exactly why. Again, one uh, work that I had to think by our discussion and not necessarily the films themselves is uh, Solaris by Stanislav Lem because there you have this planet and the, this ocean which is actually some sort of conscious being that's way beyond our understanding and it's this complete inversal like um, scientists studying this being which is actually a planet or a whole but then they cannot understand it and then the planet itself is just affecting them in, in weird ways. I guess you've you've read it. Mm-hmm. 
probably yes. seen the film also. Yes, yes. <laughs> Definitely. And also a recent, as well, a recent trilogy that um, came out by this, um, it's, she's a black author, um, sci-fi author, and her name is N.K. Jemisin. The trilogy is called Broken Earth. Mm-hmm. And it's also, so the earth is in tumult and this society of humans, which might live in the future, might live in the past, uh, might live in a parallel world, I'm not going to spoil it, but they face various ends of the world, right. every 10 to 100 years, and they're always trying to adapt and to make humanity kind of uh, endure in a way. But the earth is rumbling, the earth is responding mm-hmm. in some way, and it is answering as an organism, and as an entity. Right. Again, it connects to mythology that we discussed a bit, because of course in cultures and you have this deification of Mother Earth, which in Greece you have Gaia or Yeah, as it's pronounced in Greek, and it's not a new thing in a way to perceive this as, as, a, as a being, almost as an entity. Yeah, ancient Greece is a great example of that, and mm-hmm. it's one that is very close to us Westerners in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any artists that uh, you could refer to in terms of your work? Ah. No, no, you don't, <laughs> okay. you don't have to. No, just, no, sure, uh, sure. Uh, no, recently I can talk about one artist that I uh, that I've currently been looking up to a lot, Gao Fei. She is a a Chinese artist. Uh, she worked a lot with video installation and speculation, and her films are very weird, but also rooted in socioeconomical events uh, that are of contemporary in contemporary China. And yeah, I mean, she's a big reference at the moment, I'd say. I think it's a good point to wrap up this uh, discussion. It was a pleasure speaking to you. I think we covered quite some ground and left some leads to be discovered for the exhibition itself. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Leandros, and for your questions. Yeah, it was very nice. <laughs> Good to hear that. And thank you, Trixie, for uh, Thank you, Trixie. This.